Welcome. This is the Life Habits Podcast Series, and my name is Carl Vradenberg. This is the series that helps you to learn new habits to optimize your life in order to stay sane in this crazy world. This is episode number 94, and the topic for today is fixing unhelpful thinking habits. And you may well think, with that title, that I have Mandy Cloppers with me again, and you would be right. So thanks so much for joining us, Mandy. It's a pleasure, Carl. Great to be here. Fantastic. And it's been a while since we did a podcast episode together. And I know there were requests in the past for having you back. And so I'm delighted to have you back on the podcast again this time. And so we're dealing this week with a really interesting and I think incredibly important topic of thinking and the way that we process information that we deal with from others and in the environment and the like, and in variety of ways, changing the reality and making our own reality influenced by the way that we're processing that information. I think in general, it is sort of the overall approach, but why don't you take us through your sort of perspective on this as well as start to take us down the quotes that you also so kindly collected for us today. Yes, sure. Um, thanks for having me back as well. It's, it's great to be back. Um, just about thinking, just a, a short little introduction before I do the quotes. It's just that, you know, I believe that the way we think, and, and it's not so much what happens to us, but what how we perceive what's happening to us. Um, and our thoughts can really make life heaven or hell, depending on how we choose to, to think about things. Um, and to some of the quotes that are relevant to this is uh, one of my favorite is Epictetus, uh, and that's E-P-I-C-T-E-T-U-S, strange name, but um, he's a Greek philosopher, and he wrote that man is not worried by real problems so much as by his imagined anxieties about real problems. And I find this is a very common thing with a lot of clients and with myself as well. Uh, the anticipation is often worse than the event. The second quote is from William Shakespeare from Hamlet, and that is, there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And then the next one's by Bill Mayer. Every thought is a seed. If you plant crab apples, don't count on harvesting golden delicious. I quite like that one. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and then uh, I've got two more. Just whatever you focus on, think about, read about, and talk about intensely, you're going to attract more of into your life. And that's by Jack Canfield, the author of uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is by Buddha, and it's, we are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make our world. And I really believe that that's true. So this, this um, podcast has a lot to do with thinking and how it shapes our world. I love it. And those are great quotes to start off with. And the, the whole focus, too, as you were saying, Mandy, of that we don't we all think that we experience the world as a veridical reality and that our approach to it is one of actually having everything out there that we're just taking a video in our mind of what's going on out there and all that we're doing when we're remembering something is remembering it back again as if we we're playing it back but couldn't be further from the truth, right? There's all kinds of things that we do. And so you've got a great collection of areas of errors and thinking and approaches that we use that uh, you can tell us a little bit about so we're more aware of them and also being able to actually get rid of them as well. So why don't we start with the first one? Yeah, sure. Okay, well, the first one is negative filter or negative filtering. You know, and I see a lot of clients in, in my practice who do this. And, you know, we all do these some of these to some extent, and they, they can create a lot of misery in our lives. And negative filtering is when you focus on the bad and you sort of filter out the good. And, you know, often people do that when they're quite depressed or very anxious. Uh, there's also something called confirmation bias, where we look for examples in the real world that confirm the way we think. 
So we almost tend to out the good and look for what, what fits with what we see about the world. And it become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So negative filter, often we exclude the evidence that negates what we're thinking. You know, an example would be my last partner was, was horrible, therefore I'm not going to date again because all future partners will probably hurt my feelings um, or, or do the same sort of thing. You know, we start to be tuned into looking for negative behaviors that confirm that. So, you know, the, the idea to try and beat this this error in thinking is to just be, first of all, be aware of the thinking and then try to always look for some positive example that would counteract or contradict that thought because, you know, you pretty much will always find something that that contradicts what you're thinking if it's consistently negative. So, you know, maybe look for helpful behaviors that, you know, the opposite sex are engaging in or, you know, stories on the news or there's always something that can make you have a different take on the world if you if you look for it. So just being aware of that negative filters is very important. What you're suggesting is if you just realize that you made a conclusion about anything, like you said, the dating situation and the like, that you first step back and realize that you may not be accurately sensing and interpreting the situation. That you're going to look at that and externalize that from yourself and say, let me just analyze what I just did there. I'm just concluding that there won't be anybody else in the world ever. There, everybody will always be negative, everything I just experienced and the like. And if you step back from that and what you're suggesting is realize that you're probably using a negative filter, especially if you tend to do that, and many, many people do tend to focus on the negative, then to look for positive, as you're saying. You say, well, hey, you know what? Here's an example that isn't confirming what it is that uh, I just concluded in the like, right? Absolutely, because the thing is, if you if you get into a habit of thinking negatively, that's going to affect your mood, and you're going to end up feeling either depressed or anxious or sad, and, and that's just going to make you feel even worse and you know bring you down further. So it's really important to try and balance that thinking, mm -hmm. and always remember that there's two sides to everything, and that nothing's ever as bad as you probably think it really is, even though it may feel like it at the time. Right. And if you are getting yourself even more down, as you're suggesting in terms of the, that becomes a, a negative cycle of actually going and therefore even looking for more negative evidence and it reinforces itself as well. So get some distance on it, being aware of the fact that you do have a negative filter some of the time, look for positive evidence and address that particular error in thinking. That's a great one. What's the next one? The second one is called personalizing. And again, I think this is a very common one. And this is where we often blame ourselves for situations or things that happen when we actually have very little control over what is going on. You know, obviously, obviously it's my fault or I've upset them or it's something I've done. It can make a person lose their, their confidence. They can end up suffering from depression or have low self-esteem. So, you know, it also leads to a lot of guilt. And it's very important to challenge that thinking and say, well, often, you know, really, did I have that much influence over the situation? Was it, you know, where's the evidence that that really is all my fault? And often, you know, the way we, we make faulty assumptions that aren't necessarily true. So personalizing, always stop yourself and go, really, you know, is am I responsible? Where, where does my, my boundaries of responsibility end and begin? Very important to make those boundaries, get those clear boundaries in place. I always think, too, that the thought of it's not all about you. Right. A lot of people that when they're really personalizing a lot of the time, it's like, oh, I must have caused that, caused that, caused that. And when you realize that, no, the person wasn't even actually even thinking about your involvement and like, and so not everything is about you, number one. And the other one is a lot of the time people think about personalizing in the sense of, again, a negative 
event and think about it from the positive point of view and saying, well, if you had that much power that you influence this particular negative event, think about, do you have similar amazing uh, impact on positive things? And you think, well, actually, well, maybe not. Maybe it didn't influence this one either. So maybe it isn't all about me, right? So I think it's probably worth saying too that certain people have a tendency toward these more than others. And some of these can be individual to a particular person. But then all of us, I think, experience some degree of these at various times. And so whether you can recognize that you're the kind of person that does this all the time and that this one really defines you, it's still relevant to be aware of these for many people that actually may only situationally be dealing in this way as well. So can I, can I, I've got a little good analogy on that one. I often mm -hmm. say to my clients, imagine a tennis game and um, that you're serving the ball. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you choose to sort of hit that ball. Once that ball leaves your racket, you're no longer responsible for how the other person re responds. They can either be passive and let the ball drop or they can hit it back aggressively or they can be assertive. And, and it's kind of like once, you know, just think about life like that. Once you've responded or done something, how another person wants to respond to you is, is their responsibility. You can't be responsible for that as well. So that's also quite a, you know, where your responsibilities lie with regards to other people. That, that's one that truly you can visualize and say, okay, well, how is it that you're responsible for the way that they returned the ball in whatever the way they did it? They, they spend ages trying to figure out how best to serve the ball so that they, they don't upset the other person. So, you know, so we do tend to worry so much about, you know, what others think and how we're coming across. And sometimes we need to just kind of just get on with it and go, well, I can't control all of that. I just have to focus on how I react and not respond to people. All right. What's the next one? The next one is just um, a short one. It's about should statements. You know, we often say I must or I should. I should be doing this. I must be doing that. You know, we, we, we're conditioned a lot, I think, by modern society to, you know, be busy all the time and be doing things and, you know, not be lazy. And uh, I think sometimes it's best to replace should with could. I could be doing that. You know, just take the pressure out of it because we all live such busy lives and we put ourselves last and, uh, you know, that can end up affecting our health, make us stressed. So I just like that idea of changing should to could and just, you know, lessening the pressure. We have so much pressure on us every day. So just even look in this case for your use of that word. Whenever exactly. it is that you're actually saying it explicitly or you're thinking it, change the shoulds to could. Love it. Next one is a very common one again called black and white thinking. This is, you know, all or nothing thinking. I think the problem with that is it's very rigid. So when we have a lot of rules about how life should be, they're going to get more easily broken and that's going to cre create anxiety and stress for us. So, you know, very few things in life are black and white and it pays to remember that there's a lot of gray areas in between. Uh, black and white thinking narrows your options and, you know, it, it stops you looking at alternatives. So it's very important to ask yourself, has there ever been an, a time when it wasn't like this? You know, or, you know, ask yourself, is it never like this? Is it always, you know, and very often you'll find that there's an exception to the rule. There's a reason why black and white thinking is, isn't going to work for you. When you think of people that think in this way or if people are at any time actually succumbing to this kind of error in thinking, you know, they really limit their options. They're really sort of taking a situation and not giving themselves enough sort of options to work with because if it's only this thing or this, it's 100% this or nothing. There exactly. obviously is, like you said, all kinds of gray areas and it's the gray areas that actually you generally need to be pursuing, right? Exactly. I mean, it closes down your thinking, it limits your options and, uh, you know, challenging this type of thinking, make, you know, just being aware that you're doing this 
helps you to broaden your outlook and be more flexible. And the more flexible you are in your thinking, generally the more contented you'll be as a person. It's a good thing in general to point out with regard to all of these, Mandy, that any of these where you've really got a fixed way of thinking, that you're rigid and that this is the way that you're going to interpret the situation, the more flexible you are in any of these that we're talking about really provides you with more agility in dealing with, you know, any any situation that comes around, right? Absolutely. I think if you're more open-minded and less judgmental, you can experience more in life and you can learn more than if you kind of have these very rigid ideas and you block things out. So, But sometimes people don't realize they're doing it. So it's important to just stop yourself and say, you know, am I a very angry person or do I get very tense and uptight? And that's often a symptom of this kind of thinking. I'm thinking too, as we go through these, and we still have somewhere to go, some people may be thinking, oh my God, there's just so many of these that how do I deal with this? But I would suggest as we go through these that there's, you know, maybe one or two of these that you catch yourself doing and you think, well, you know, that's the one that really is the one that I'm most sort of guilty of or that I succumb to most easy and to focus on that one. But having said that, I think it also requires, and I think this is what you're also suggesting, Mandy, is that you've got to really take a hard look at yourself in the way that you do this work. Because any of these kinds of biases and these kinds of errors in thinking, a lot of people aren't aware of the fact that they're doing them. And so actually looking through these, the list that you're giving here, Mandy, to, to actually take that list and think about each time as we go through one of these, or even to listen to this episode again, or look at the, the show notes that'll be available on the Facebook page for Life Habits, to go through these and then actually focus on the interpretation you just did, let's say, of what your boss said yesterday that you're ruminating about or this worrying that you're doing in terms of the future or your partner just said something. Think about and internally focus on the way that you may be misinterpreting that situation in looking at these particular topics is probably a good way to go about this, right? Absolutely. I mean, there is another way. If you if you you know you find it quite daunting to always be chat, you know listening to your thinking and what have I just thought, and is to look for other ways that you can tell tale signs are if there are any physical sen bodily sensations that you're having, like um, you know indigestion or tension headaches or palpitations or sweaty palms. That sometimes is indicative of this kind of thinking underlying. Or you could look at feelings if you feel that you're regularly anxious or angry. Uh, again, if you went deeper, you might find that it's the thinking because, the, you know, I do cognitive behavioral therapy and the underlying sort of theory of that is that a thought leads to a feeling which then leads to behavior. And sometimes, you know, they're all interrelated, but sometimes we need to look at the physical sensations in our behavior. If there's any unhelpful behavior like addictive behavior or overspending or, you know, all, all the feelings, the anger, being upset, that that might suggest that there's some thoughts that are not quite healthy but you know it's it's a bit of a, a puzzle that mm -hmm. uh, takes time to pick apart sometimes and these are also i would think on a continuum of seriousness let's say or the degree to which they're impacting your life or even the degree to which you are experiencing these errors in thinking that there are some situations like you're describing where somebody's really incapacitated, really has a lot of physical and physiological symptoms from this and could be spiraling. There's other people that, you know, may well be functioning perfectly 
seemingly fine and not necessarily have those other physical symptoms, let's say, but just as getting themselves into a real challenge in day-to-day dealing with, let's say, a boss or a partner or, or, or whatever. And this realization of just a tendency toward doing any of these kinds of mental interpretations of the real world that they're not serving them well and so there's probably that full range and I think anybody that's listening to this can identify them if they really introspected in terms of what it is that they're doing could determine the degree to which they are on that continuum and as we've said before and there's a previous episode that we did together Mandy on seeking professional help so anybody that's really on the extreme side of this of having a really difficult time in dealing with these kinds of issues should really be seeking you know professional help as well right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this can help people just with day-to-day stuff as well, or, you know, where they find they're just stuck in a rut with something, or they've had a difficult situation. You know, it can be applied to individual. and you're so right that it's all on a continuum. So, absolutely correct on that one. The other one, again, another common one, overgeneralization. An example of this would be, I never get anything right. Uh, this, you know, it's a sweeping statement that fails to consider specifics. So, looking for evidence that challenges this type of thinking um, and negates broad judgments is is very valuable. You know, we, we can often be quite hard on ourselves and judge ourselves quite critically. And to you know, to beat this unhelpful thinking style, catch yourself overgeneralizing. You know, we we tend to do that's called a cognitive shortcut, where we try and simplify the world by, you know, stereotyping or overgeneralizing. To but sometimes it doesn't work in our favor. Um, and maybe say to yourself, just because one event happened, does not necessarily mean that I am or that person is. You know. It's a certain way of being, or that that's definitely what's going on. Overgeneralizing can again, because if we go too broad, mm-hmm. as opposed to the black and white thinking, we can limit ourselves. So, you know, it's just one to be aware of. And this is also one that I would think, even in your speaking to other people, let's say, taking this sort of overgeneralized approach can also lead to real challenges in working with others. Because if you're telling, let's say, another person that they're always doing this and this and this, or you never do this or whatever, and and when the reality is probably somewhere in the middle, it sort of makes the situation more difficult if you perceive things in this overgeneralized way, as well as if you communicate, you know, that to others as well, where it really isn't veridical, where it really isn't uh, representative of what reality is actually all about. Absolutely. I think, you know, we all do it, as I said earlier, to, to a degree, but just being aware that you're doing it and that it might be limiting you on some levels is, it can be helpful. What's the next one, Mandy? Next one is labeling or mislabeling. So where we, we sort of, you know, the end example would be, I'm stupid. Again, ask yourself, where's the evidence? When you think of examples, challenge these with evidence that contradicts these examples. A good way maybe sort of to say to yourself, stop yourself and say, instead of saying, I'm stupid, I'm going to say, you know what, I'm human and I make mistakes like everybody else does. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I'm stupid. And also separating yourself from the behavior, just going, well, that behavior maybe wasn't the cleverest thing to do, but that doesn't mean that I'm stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you know, we all tend to have quite quite a lot of internal negative dialogue going on. We catch ourselves saying it now and then, and I think that's normal. But it's important to watch what you're telling yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the more we talk to ourselves in a positive, upbeat way and tell ourselves good things about ourselves, um, which doesn't seem to be default behavior, but it's it's a really positive um, behavior and habit to get into. Often, when we label. 
And I even think the diagnostic labels are like this some of the time that once you've labeled something, it's sort of the the nominal fallacy is, is actually what it's referred to as that, you know, once you've given something a name or a label, you somehow think you're finished with it, that you don't need to do anything else about it and the like. And so resisting labeling anything and just dealing with the reality of it and really, uh, like you say, dealing with the facts, dealing with the, you know, progressing and improving upon it is just so much better than ever just labeling something because that doesn't serve really any purpose other than some of the time actually even absolving your own responsibility for it. That somehow, oh, I am fill in the blank. And you don't think that that's something that you could change because it's sort of a characteristic of you and describes you and defines you, right? And you want to stay clear of those. One good way to sort of figure out if you do do a lot of labeling or mislabeling is to is to um, ask yourself these three sentences. First one is I am dot 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 fill in something there automatically other people are dot 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 and the world is dot 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 what would you put there you know without too much thinking and hopefully that would be quite positive things but if you're saying lots of negative things to yourself it might be worth you know challenging that adjusting that because sometimes when we think too negatively it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy and that it kind of starts to become true for us because we behave in a way that's in accordance with what we're thinking Mm -hmm. that makes sense so Makes a lot of sense. And, that, and that's very good advice in terms of things that you could actually go through in a systematic fashion like that. Sounds great. So what are we up to now? Okay. So the next one is called emotional reasoning. Mm-hmm. And this is when we feel a certain way and, you know, we may feel unhappy or upset about something and we'll think, well, I feel this way, so it must be true. You know, I feel sad that, that my colleague didn't say good morning to me. Um, so therefore... You know, I'm feeling sad and maybe it's true that they, they don't really like me, you know, because I feel really hurt. And and it could be that, that they were just really busy or distracted or they've had a bad morning. Um, so it's very important, you know, often the emotion confirms what we're thinking, but our thinking might be a little bit off. There might be a sort of a faulty assumption going on there. Mm-hmm. So it's always important to kind of just realize that you may be feeling bad or upset about something, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily the way you're perceiving it. Mm-hmm. And you may actually be experiencing some physiological sensation that you're mislabeling or misdescribing and, and even making the assumption about. I mean, if, for example, you're, you know, your heart is racing, you may interpret that you're really nervous about a situation, but it may be that you just were recovering from a run that you did and that you haven't fully recovered. There, there are a variety of other things that you could misattribute physical symptoms. And so I think that's probably... A, I think another thing really important, again, to think about, that here you are experiencing something, but to give it and interpret and think about how you may be not being accurate. Absolutely. I mean, the thing is, what's tricky is that emotions are very strong. You know, and often when we, we have a sort of an internal conflict between reason, you know, our minds and our hearts, emotions often win because they're, they're just stronger so sometimes it's important to just stop and take a bit of time out and sort of relook at the situation when the emotions are less less intense. Um, and then, you know, hopefully sometimes engage the, the newer part of our brain, the frontal lobe, and have a bit of reason come back in. And then, you know, so sometimes just stopping and thinking is, is, is a good way to deal with emotional reasoning. I love it. And I think we're almost at the end of our intended list of errors and thinking that we wanted to go through. What is the last one, Mandy? The last one I've left for last is because it is a very common one. I found this is one of the most common ways of unhelpful thinking that we all indulge in. And that's called catastrophizing or awfulizing is another word for it. 
And this is kind of thinking about the worst possible scenario that could take place. You know, it could be something that's not too serious. And we've gone, oh, my goodness, it's going to end up, you know, I'm going to lose my job and then I'll be homeless. And then then what's going to happen? And, you know, and we kind of think about the absolute worst possible and get ourselves into a complete state over it. So, you know, this this kind of thinking um, escalates your fears and your anxieties, and, and it may not even be that that's the reality. So it can lead you to feeling se- a sense of vulnerability and powerlessness. Um, and a good question to ask yourself is, what is the worst that can happen? And would I feel like this in, you know, a month from now? Is there another way to look at this? Uh, keeping perspective is really important. Uh, you know, affirmations as well. I can deal with whatever comes my way. Stopping and thinking. I have an acronym that I, I'd like to put in here that I think is really useful. It's uh, the word APPLE, and it stands for acknowledge. So acknowledge that you may be, you know, finding things difficult or you're going through a rough patch. Pause, pull back, let go, and then explore. And I think that's a great little way to deal with, you know, when you do feel that you're catastrophizing and everything seems to be overwhelming and getting on top of you. Uh, APPLE's a good way to just pull back from that a little bit, get a bit of perspective, Take a breath and focus on the errors in your in your thinking and that, you know, really where's the evidence that it's going to end up as bad as you think it will? I love it when you can give little uh, reminders like that and things to remember in terms of how to approach these kinds of things. And that's a really good one. I, I think it's also the case that you can deal with these things personally and individually, but a lot of this also happens when a group of people start to think in this way, whether it's a company, whether it's a country, whether it's a group of friends can go down this path as well of taking a little bit of in the way of facts and then, you know, blowing it way out of proportion and worrying about things that really when you look at the actual facts, there's no real evidence or justification for being so worried about something, you know, happening, let's say. And what happens with all of that is that you also get yourself all upset, uh, either individually or the whole group. And you're also not going to be looking appropriately in the areas that you could really improve things. You're now worried, worried, worried about what's going to happen. When in actual fact, you should be just distancing yourself from that realizing that this isn't the as the very suggestions you just gave when you come back from that and you're now going to say so what can i do about this how can i actually change things as opposed to sitting around worrying about it the whole time right exactly and i you know i find a lot of my clients catastrophize i know i catastrophize even though i should know you know no better but i think it's just life that that just you know, it throws stuff at us sometimes, and some days we're just not as strong, in, you know, mentally to cope with it. I, I have a good example actually of a, a client of mine who, you know, comes across incredibly confident, um, you know, not a care in the world. But he said he went to an art gallery recently, and uh, the client's wife came over, and uh, he, she seemed really off with him. And he said he was worried. He said he started worrying and thinking, well, he must have done something personalizing, mm-hmm. personalizing, um, and worrying that. And then he started thinking. She's really upset with me, you know. Maybe she's going to end this contract, then I'm going to lose them as a client, and you know, starting to catastrophize. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the next day, she called him and invited him for lunch. So all of his worrying was for nothing. So you know, we we tend to get ourselves into such a, a twist over mm-hmm. things sometimes. And this is a this this podcast is a good reminder to sometimes just you know use Apple to take a step back and just go hold on a second. I'm getting myself all upset over possibly nothing. And these are great, great suggestions, Mandy. And and I think it was a really good set of things for people to, you know, think through, like I said earlier, think of each of these, which ones are really things that you do yourself 
be really honest with yourself too. You know, really make sure that you're getting some distance. First of all, I love the Stephen Covey talking about that human beings have a, uh, there's always a, a stimulus and a response and that one of the benefits of uh, what human beings have the capability of doing is actually putting a distance between those. So when you actually experience a stimulus, you have some time to actually process and think. You don't have to immediately respond. So then think through the kind of list of the errors in thinking that you've just done a great job, Mandy, of going through and thinking, are you doing any of these are there, is there some things that you can do in the way that you were just giving advice on where you can step back and actually take a different perspective on the situation? And the net result of that, by looking at any of these uh, real errors in thinking and eliminating them, is that you'll end up being way more effective, happier, more successful, and the like as well. So a fantastic list, Mandy, and thank you so much for that on behalf of everybody listening as well for all of the great advice that you've given here and you've given on the previous episodes as well. I wanted to also just congratulate you on your blog that you uh, write on a regular basis. I see it and I read it. Some phenomenal advice on all kinds of topics for sort of self-improvement. And uh, could you maybe just share with the listeners where they can find that blog? Yes, of course. Uh, if they just type into Google, it's, it's www.thoughtsonlifeandlove.com. And there's loads of stuff. I do, I do a daily blog pretty much, except Sundays. So there's loads of stuff there on relationships, self-esteem, um, being assertive, mental health issues, all sorts of stuff, and positive inspirational stories as well. Fantastic. I can vouch for the phenomenal content. And also I admire the fact that you also keep that up that regularly, actually, which is something I'm not quite as good at with regard to getting these uh, podcast episodes out regularly. So my apologies to the listeners for that. But I am trying to get into a more regular cadence of providing those as well. But I really wanted to thank you, Mandy, for this session. I know that the email and comments and like that I get from the listeners, they really do appreciate all of that as well. So thank you ever so much. And we will talk to you next time we do one of these. And I want to thank everybody else for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. And bye for now.